picking up where I left off last week and do a brief review before we jump right into it. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. We are in our faith and family in the fall series. And during this time, we focus on strengthening our faith and our families. And we've had a wonderful marriage conference already. And on the past few Wednesday nights, we've been sharing how to pray effectively for your loved ones and family members. Last week, we did a message called, Who Said That? If you missed that message, I encourage you to find it on YouTube or on the Faith Plus app or on our podcast. Romans 10, 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We shared last week that faith comes by what is continually heard. Fear comes the same way. Whatever you hear continually will influence your life. Whatever you hear continually will influence your life. Why? Because if you keep hearing it, you're going to believe it. Because it doesn't just stop as words. The majority of people, when they hear words continually, they begin to think about it. The more they think about it, the more they imagine it. The more they imagine it and create a picture in their head and in their heart, eventually they act on it or respond to it. So the forces that influence your life are continually strengthened by what you hear. As I said last week, too often we run with what we hear because it sounds good, it's religious, or it affirms previously held thoughts and beliefs or actions that we just wanted to take. We live in a world of commentators, influencers, experts, celebrities, politicians, and preachers. Everybody got something to say. Everybody's talking. And the thing is, doesn't mean it has to be good to go viral. Everybody has something to say, and everybody has a platform to say it with. But you can't just grab onto something because it sounds good, or it rhymed, or it seemed religious, or it's just kind of what your flesh already wanted to do. We said last week you need to analyze everything you hear through the analysis of who said that. Did it come from God? Did it come from the enemy? Did it come from somebody else's foolishness? You need to analyze what you hear with who said that. Because if you analyze it that way, you will process it correctly. How many things have we built our life on that we found out it wasn't true? Because we never analyzed who said that. Too often we grab onto a saying without fully considering it. We live in a society that rushes to react to every headline without reading the article. We are led by clickbait and we act accordingly. We said last week that headline hearing and clickbait faith will not produce the life you're praying for. Headline hearing and clickbait faith will not produce the life that you're praying for. We, may, we must pay attention to how we hear, what we hear, and examine our currently held beliefs with who said that. We encourage you to look at your life saying, what word are you living by? What word do you have faith in? The words you believe and act on will produce results in your life. The words you continually hear is the words you will continually think about. 
imagine, meditate, expect, and act on. The words you continually hear will influence your perspective. It is vitally important that you act on what God is saying to you and not what he's saying to somebody else. Because so many times we like to be spiritually lazy. Well, God told that person to do it, so I'm going to do it. Did God tell you to do that? I'm not talking about what he said in the scriptures. Not what he said universally is clear in the word that he's talking to you. But somebody else took time and prayed and fasted and heard from God, and they did something that worked. So, well, if it worked for them, it's going to work for them. No. What is he telling you to do? Now, I was reading a book by Oral Roberts this week. He called it Concepts and Applications. He says the concepts of the word of God work for everybody. There are, he says there are general concepts he's led his life by, and he says because they're in the word of God, it works for everybody. But he said, in my life, there are certain applications that I've done, and those applications are personal that God gave to me for me to do. And then he said there are wonderful applications God has for your life, but you're going to have to get that from him. If you copy someone's applications, you will not get the same results. And then you'll begin to believe some crazy doctrine. Well, God loves them more, or they got this result because they're in that office, or because of this. You create all these different things because the application didn't work for you. Well, that application was never meant to work for you. The concept is for everybody, but the specific application is different from person to person to person. It's dangerous trying to live off of somebody else's word. It's dangerous. Why? Because it's not their life. It's yours. We looked at the example last week in Exodus 14 when the Israelites were finally leaving Egypt. And God told Moses, tell the Israelites to go forward. So the word to Israel was go. They were, the Red Sea parted as they acted on the word from God. But what happened when the Egyptian army tried to act on Israel's word? The word to Israel was go. The word to Egypt was let my people go. But when Egypt tried to act on Israel's world, the Red Sea swept them away. How many things in your life have been swept away by the Red Seas of life because you're acting on someone else's word? How many things have you built your life on when it's someone else's word, not what God told you to do, and at best you have built a life on shaky, sandy foundation that cannot stand against the storm or the Red Seas of life? You have to make sure you're building your life, your family, your relationships, everything about you on the Word of God and what the Spirit of God is saying to your heart. Because the Spirit of God will never contradict His Word. Why? He wrote it. He's wise enough not to contradict Himself. So He said, let's examine our lives, our families, and our relationship in light of this for today's message, Dismantling Camelot. Dismantling Camelot. Camelot is any idyllic place or period, especially one of great happiness. Any idyllic place or period, especially one of great happiness. We often have an idyllic image in our mind of what we expect in life, family, relationships, and etc. Now, what we expect in our mind could have come from many things, from what we've heard continually, what we saw live before us growing up, or even what we saw on TV, the movies, social media. We, you know, we may not want to admit it, but we really build our lives off of what we see. We do. 
Some of y'all have stuff in your house because you saw it on Instagram. Ooh, I want my house to look like that. No, that's only the, what the photo shows. The rest of the house may be a mess, but that spot in my house looks great. But we build our lives by what we continually see. And that's not a problem if what we see is accurate and trustworthy and stable. But if we build on what's unstable, what is unsure, or what is for somebody else, we will have a shaky foundation that can get swept away in the Red Seas of life. And so I like to call this imaginary image in our mind of what we want our lives to be like, Camelot. Because we all imagine something. Imagine what we want our best life to be. But if it's not founded on the word of God, it will be shaky. It'll be swept away. God has a wonderful life plan for you. But you have to build according to his blueprint. Not just what you come up with. In order to have the life that God has for you, you must identify your source and who has responsibility. I'll say the statement now and I'll circle back to it at the end of this message. Unexpressed expectations lead to frustration. Unexpressed expectations lead to frustration. One of the things I do with couples who are about to get married, I tell them, hey, I want you guys to take some time and talk to each other about what life was like growing up. Not the big days, not the big memories. What was everyday life like? Because what you saw, what was normal to you, is what you expect that person to do. But if that's not what they saw, they're not going to do that. And you'll have expectations in your mind that you haven't expressed that forms Camelot in your mind. And when the honeymoon period of your marriage is, is gone and you're into the real everyday life, you upset because you're not living in Camelot. How many people have said, well, when I have kids, it's going to be exactly like this. There's no way they're having any device time. They're eating healthy food all the time. Yeah, you see what had happened was. You had this Camelot that you talked about, but when you got into the everyday life, you realized everything wasn't like you imagined. And so when you get into dismantling Camelot and building the life God has for you, you have to examine everything you do with who said that, who is your source, and who has responsibility. Say, who said that? Who is your source? And who has responsibility? This is a good thing to put in the chat for those of you watching online. I'll say it again. Say, who said that? Who is your source? And who has responsibility? 1 Corinthians 8, chapter 6, Amplified Classic Edition says, Yet for us there is only one God, the Father, who is the source of all things, and for whom we have life, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through and by whom are all things, and through and by whom we ourselves exist. Say, God is my source. Go ahead, put that in the chat. Let's say it again. Say, God is my source. So when you examine everything in your life, in your relationships, God has to be your source. So, of course, preacher, God's supposed to be, yeah, 
slow down for a second. Because when we talk about things like this, we really have to go into the very nitty-gritty of life. If God is your source, why would you look to your spouse to meet your self-esteem needs? If God is your source, why would you look to your spouse to boost your ego? Or handle your insecurities? If God is your source, why would you look to your child succeeding to be the method of fulfillment in your life? Or living vicariously through them? See, we look for a lot of things that come from our spouses and our children. But the thing is, if God is not our source, we'll put undue burdens on them, which will lead to frustrations in the relationship. You have to ask yourself, who is your source? And really identify, who am I looking to for fulfillment? Who am I looking to for my identity? Who am I looking to so I can have strong self-esteem? Who am I looking to so I can be secure on the inside? Because insecurities ruin families. They ruin marriages. They ruin children's relationships. And if you're dating, if a person you're dating is always racked with insecurities, they're not ready to get married yet. Because there's no way you can solve all the insecurities. Why? You ain't God. And if God hasn't done it yet, what makes, you think, what makes you think you can? Don't just rush down the altar. Well, we're saved. Yeah. Need something more than being saved. There's some work required. You can be saved and get married too early and work it all out if you guys work hard. But if you don't, it's going to be a mess. Or as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7, you will have trouble in the flesh. So you need to identify who said that and who's your source. I need you guys to handle that echo up here. Who said that and who is your source? You have to identify that. Who are you looking to to meet your needs? See, we live in a society where we like to put the responsibility on everybody else but us. Well, my boss doesn't pay me enough. Is it his job to meet your needs? I thought we were free people. I ain't trying to go to no plantation. Look at me like that if you want to. It is not your boss's job to meet your need. Yes, your boss does have a responsibility in your life, and they should pay what is fair and et cetera and all these different things. But it's not your boss's job to meet all your needs. Your boss is not your God. I thought the scripture says your God shall supply all your need. Now, one of the things you have to understand when you think about source, God is your source. You have one source, but you have many resources. So God will use many things to help get the need met. But there's no thing but God who is your source. Everything is a resource. So when we think about it this way, let's think about job and finances. My job is a resource that God uses to meet my needs. 
My investments are a resource that God uses to meet my needs. Businesses or side hustles he may cause me to do are resources that God will use to meet my need. You have one source, but you're supposed to have many resources. Now, we have this mentality that came from a couple generations ago that, well, if you get this one job in a good company, you can stay there all your life and then retire. Yes, that was the American dream 40, 50 years ago. But did the Bible say, who said that? And so when the American dream of what was a couple decades ago doesn't come to pass in your life, you're frustrated. But if you put your faith in the American dream instead of the word of God, you will be frustrated. You want the government to meet all your needs, and the government is broke. Consistently negotiating to raise the debt ceiling. Don't put your faith in that. God is your source. You are to have many resources. But when you put your faith in something else as your source, you will be frustrated and you will be let down. I just need to marry someone rich. Whoa, 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 balls. Paul, it's like that, you know, that TikTok that's going viral. People singing, you know, trying to sing and chant like from the Lion King that they need a sugar daddy or sugar mama. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down. Slow down. Slow. Whose job is it to meet your needs? Is it your spouse's job? Because you can put undue pressure on your spouse to produce at a certain level financially, ruin their lives or even cause them to die early. And while we're on that subject, who said that the man was only the person that's supposed to work? The scripture does not say it. Well, if the Bible says they should stay at home, no, that is not what the Bible said. Paul uses the word in 1 Timothy, he said they are keepers of the home. You know what that word means? Guardians. So why? You should walk like, I'm the guardian of the house. You're the guardian of the family. There's some things you'll see that your husband won't see. And you'll know how to guard your family. They didn't say that to stay at home. You know, why is we talk about Proverbs 31 all the time? She handled her home and then she had businesses. God has called everybody to work. Whether it's in the house, out of the house, whatever it is. We'll get into that a little bit later in the series. But everybody is called to work. Everybody has a part to play in this. You need to identify everything you do with who said that, who is your source, and who has responsibility. And for people who are about to get married, you need to know each other's credit score. You need to know what they owe, who they owe. Is somebody looking for them? Cobb County, Fulton County, the state of Georgia, CIA, FBI, IRS. That's the dangerous one. Collectors, somebody looking for them. You need to know this information. Why? Because once you become married, you're one. They're not just going to look for them. They're going to look for you, too. These are some questions you have to ask because you're supposed to be one. 
not two single people having biblically legal sex. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. Who said that? Who is your source? And who has responsibility? Say, who said that? Who is your source? And who has responsibility? Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but what is he given us? A spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind or self-control. Galatians 5, 23, 24 says two of the gifts of the Spirit are meekness and self-control. Meekness is the ability to control your emotions, to control your will. Self-control is the ability to control your body and your actions. So when it comes to the responsibility of your emotions and your actions, it's not on God. It ain't on your spouse. It's not on your children. It's on you. If you lose your temper, it's not your spouse's fault. It's not your children's fault. It ain't your boss's fault, the American government's fault. It's yours. It is your responsibility to control your own emotions and control your own actions. Do you know what happens to people who don't control their own emotions or their own actions? They become controlled. Say, it is my responsibility to control my actions and control my emotions. So here's another famous one people like to say, well, once I get married, I won't have any struggles with you know, my sexual needs. Who said that? Because if you can't control your sex drive now, what makes things you can control it when you get married? Look, if they sleeping around while you're dating, what makes you think it's gonna stop now that they have a ring on their finger? Well, I can change them. Sweetheart, your bed game ain't that good. If God hasn't changed them by now, what do you think you can do? But how many times we tell ourselves, well, if I, if I just marry them, I can change them. Do you know how many people are frustrated with that now? It is your responsibility to control your actions and your emotions. Marriage or having children won't help you control it. It may remind you it is your responsibility. But if you don't take responsibility, say take responsibility, you're going to end in a bad place if you don't take responsibility. So who said that? Who is your source? And who has responsibility? Now laying that, let's go to Ephesians chapter 5. Who is your source? Who said that? And who has responsibility? Begin to ask yourself these questions. You'll dismantle Camelot and actually build the life that you dreamed of, the life God desires you to have. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the reverence of God. It's a good verse to start with where we're going next. Wives. Whoa. Who is he talking to? It's not a true question. Who's he talking to? Wives. Is he talking to all women? No. He's talking to wives. 
Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, not someone else's husband, yours. As unto the Lord. Now, what does the word submit mean? Because this verse is a famous verse people love to quote. But let's see what that word actually means. This word was a Greek military term, meaning to arrange troop divisions in a military fashion under the command of a leader. In non-military use, it was a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. In non-military use, it was a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. Nothing about that word says to be dominated. What does this word suggest? Cooperation. Partnership. If you're bearing a burden, you're doing it together. God has not called spouses to dominate each other. For one's on the head and one's underfoot. No, he's called them to walk side by side. As we'll look at it later, as Peter says, heirs together of the grace of this life. So when it comes to wives submitting, it's not saying, it even say the husband makes every decision. You only have to voluntarily give in if it's something you guys don't agree about. Think about it this. It goes on and says, For as a husband is the head of the wife, even Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be the husbands in everything. So the same way you voluntarily submit yourself to Jesus, or at least you should, another message, you apply that same mindset to your husband. Now notice this. When it comes to your everyday Christian life, you living under the authority of Jesus. Does Jesus tell you what to do with every single step you make? No. There are a number of things he allows for you what you decide. Right? As long as it stays within the realm of the scripture and the scriptural, scriptural authority and the law of love, it's on you. It's the same way when you look at the marriage union. Cooperate. Work together. You're in this together. So I don't understand well, why someone has to be in charge because if no one's in charge, you get a mess. It has to come down to somebody. And it never said, he's the one who makes all the decisions. It's like, well, pastor, my husband says it's my choice. He made the decision. It is your choice. Don't complain. Make a choice. Right? When it comes to, there's a lot of things we've heard just because of culture about, well, the man should do this and the woman should do that. Well, who said that? And if we don't find it in Scripture, all those things are up for you two to discuss to where it's not necessarily a thing what is right or what is wrong. It's about what is wisest. What is the wisest for your house? Not someone else's house. Not that couple that's cute on Instagram's house. Your house. Remember, don't act on someone else's word. How is God telling you to arrange your house? These are questions you have to ask yourself. 
not just copying everybody else, but what is God telling you to do? Because it goes on. Remember husbands, let me talk to you for a second. It says the husband is the head of the wife. And we're talking about the head of the body. That's one word the way it's used, and that's true. But also it's used as the cornerstone. And so when you lay a cornerstone, it is the foundation stone. All other stones in that building are set in reference to the cornerstone. So, fellas, to be the head of the house, you have to be stable. We overlook this word, but look, stability is sexy. For you looking to get married, find somebody who is stable. Oh, look, they're fit. Yeah, and unstable. Fit is great. Stable is better. You can get both, but make sure you look for stability. How do they respond to pressure? How do they respond when things don't go right? How do they respond when people make them mad? How do they treat their mama? How do they treat their sisters? Because that's probably how he's going to treat you. Oh, he'll treat me better. Uh-huh. Sure. You need to look for stability. Are they always like the waves to see up, down, up, down, up, down? If so, they're not ready yet. You have to be stable, fellas. So that means you need to do what is necessary to be stable. That includes going to the doctor and let the church say, Don't look at me like that. Let's let the church say amen one more time. You need to go to the doctor. If you need a therapist, get you one. Do what you need to be stable. Figure out what do you need to be stable. What are things that contribute to your stability? Do you need to go to the gym? Do you need to take time outside? Do you need to wake up at a certain time? What do you need to be stable so that your house is stable? Thank God for strong women and strong wives. But fellas, you got to be stable. And some of you are like, I don't know how to be stable. I want to be like what Jesus said to Peter, you're a rock. At that time, Peter was nowhere in rock shape. But I'm telling you, fellas, you're a rock. If you begin to do what God is telling you to do, he will help you be stable. In the midst of uncertain times and pressures of a pandemic, you can be so stable your whole family can rely on you. Fellas, say, I'm stable. Say, I'm a rock. This is what you have to be so that your family can prosper even in the midst of a pandemic. And so wives, you want to contribute to a stability. There are some things you may notice about him, he won't notice about himself. But you have a way to bring it up. Say, hey, you know, you seem to enjoy life more when you do this. So maybe you should do that more. You'll see things he won't see himself, which is not a problem. That's one of the reasons you're there. There's some things he sees that you won't see. That's not a problem. That's why he's there. You're in this 
together. It's not one or the other, it's together. Skip to 1 Corinthians 7. And as you turn that, I want to read this, fellas, more to, to this. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord of the church. So to nourish and cherish, it means simply feed and care. So, fellas, the same way you would take care of your own physical body, you are to take care of your wife. Now, think about it this way, taking care of your own physical body. It's not always the same depending on the day. Think about it. Just this week, we are in the fall time, which in Georgia means in the morning, it's cold. In the midday, it's hot. In the evening, it's yeah. So throughout the day, you may have different outfits. You may have a hoodie on in the morning. Midday, you take your hoodie off. In the afternoon, maybe a light jacket. What are you doing? You're taking care of your body. You're adjusting to the temperature outside. How many consider that caring for your body? In the same way, fellas, you are to adjust yourself concerning your wife. Ooh, the eyes. See, when it comes to these series, I'm equal opportunity. I go after everybody. Why? See, this is important because that doesn't mean you have to be the same way every single day. What if your wife needs something different the next day? Then you adjust yourself to her need. You are able to do it. Fellas say, I'm able to do it. No, there's too many guys say, I can't understand all women. You don't got to understand all women. You got to understand your woman. And if you have daughters, them too. How do you need to adjust for your wife? But it's also the same way when you look in Genesis, this is wives are made to be helpmeets. That also means adaptable. So wives, you can adapt and adjust for your husband. It's both. Both are called to adjust and adapt, depending on what the situation brings. Not every day is the same. Not every season is the same. You are to adjust and adapt for your spouse. Now, we understand that in certain seasons of raising kids, we got to adjust and adapt. There are some seasons you may not sleep as much. Praise the Lord. I'm in the midst of one of those seasons and about to have another one, so we're in the midst of that. You get it. You adjust. You adapt for the sake of your child. But you also need to adjust and adapt for the sake of your spouse. And fellas, it says, love her as Jesus loves the church as Jesus gave himself for the church. So, fellas, the love you're supposed to show to your wife is a love expressed in giving, where you're continually giving of yourself, of your time, of your emotions, and, yes, of your money. I thought we'd have some more amens from the ladies. Ladies, you're really just, y'all just nodded quietly like, It's of giving. It's of figuring out what their needs are and figuring out how to meet it in an overabundance fashion. 
is consistently doing that. And why is consistently responding in a way that encourages them to do it again. And let the church say, 1 Corinthians 7. Speaking about responding in a way that encourages people. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, Now concerning the things wherever you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. This is not Paul's opinion. This is what the church at Corinth wrote him. The church at Corinth was in such a hot mess condition, Paul took six chapters to correct them before we start answering the question, starting in chapter 7. He says, here's what you wrote me. Now, here is my rebuttal to what you said. Nevertheless, or but to avoid fornication. What is fornication? Sexual immorality. How is sexual immorality described in the scripture from this Greek word pornea? It is pornography. It is sleeping with someone you're not married to. It is described as homosexuality, lesbianism, bestiality, all the types of sexual immorality released in the scripture. So Paul said, in order to avoid that, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Makes very clear. Didn't say more than one, didn't say side chicks, open marriages, no. So why do you have to say it? Because the opposite is being said. And you analyze stuff. Who said that? So to avoid sexual immorality, let every man have his own wife. Let every woman have her own husband. And let the husband render to the wife due benevolence. Why are y'all so quiet today? Y'all stared at me and quiet. The mask don't make you that quiet. So let's say it. Let the husband render to the wife due benevolence. And likewise, also the wife unto the husband. Now notice this passage of Scripture. Remember, it's written about 2,000 years ago. The wife has not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise, also the husband has not power over his own body, but the wife. What is this? Equality. This is equality. 2,000 years ago, in the midst of a Roman society that did not believe this, Paul is preaching equality between the genders and equality in the marriage relationship. He's telling them that when it comes to that person's sexual needs, meet it. Y'all act nervous like y'all don't, after you leave the church property, don't listen to songs like this and say far more detailed. Going, adi, 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 yeah, I, I got it. Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time. That means you both agree that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again. So what Paul said, okay, if you took a break because you guys both agreed, make sure you get back together again and get busy. Why? So Satan doesn't tempt you because of your lack of self-control. See, too often in the church, the problem is the married people aren't having sex and the single people are. So what is the word? Single people, stop. Married people, go do it. Specifically, with each other, married people. Husbands with your wives, wives with your husbands. You got to make it clear. You say, well, pastor said, no, pastor did not say that. Don't, don't put that in the chat. 
Let's skip down to verse 32 and we'll read it from the New Living Translation as I begin to bring this to a close. It says, an unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and be holy in body and spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. This word please means to seek to be agreeable. The word please means to seek to be agreeable. Each of you have something that you like and don't like that are not necessarily right or wrong evil, sin, or good and holy. It's just how you're wired. Things that you like, things that you don't like. We all have different issues. Go ahead and nod your head. You know you do. We all have different triggers. And so what we're supposed to do as those who are married, we need to seek to become agreeable to our spouse, which is a process a process that is furthered by communication and observation. It's not just talking, it's also by observing. It's both. Go to 1 Peter 3, verse 7. See, because I said at the beginning, unexpressed expectations lead to frustrations. So you need to think about what you actually expect. What do you actually want to see? What do you actually want in your marriage relationship? A lot of times it's been developed by what we've continually heard, what we saw, good or bad. And you have certain expectations you want. Well, you need to share those expectations with your spouse. Don't drop hints. Don't, don't, don't. Neither side, but special ladies, please don't drop hints. Well, I did all this. He did not get it. My girlfriend said he ain't your girlfriend. Say clearly what you expect, what you want. No guessing games. Because if you live by guessing games, you'll be frustrated. Be clear. Fellas, be clear. If you actually care about it, say it. They'll go, eh. And they'll be mad on the inside. Just be moody walking around the house. Say something, bruh. Unexpressed expectations lead to frustration. 1 Peter 3, 7, likewise, or in the same way, you husbands dwell with them, your wives, according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered or cut off. In order to dwell with each other according to knowledge, you must express your expectations, needs, and desires in the light of the scripture. And so when we get to questions like, well, who should manage the money? Who should take out the trash? Who should do the dishes? What income should we rely on? You know, people 50 years ago, so you should rely on the income of the husband. But wait, that's 50 years ago. What if your wife makes a lot more? Is that a problem? No. Now, look, I don't, I don't think anyone in this room does, but maybe someone in the replay is going to have an issue. Fellas, if your wife makes more than you, don't be upset. Don't have an ego trip. You better thank God. Wake up every day, jump, dance, wash your dish, something, celebrate before Jesus. 
How much money you bring in a house is not equivalent to who you are as a man. But if that is, that's an insecurity you need to be healed from. There are discussions we must have in light of 2021, of what opportunities are available. How do we need to organize our life, organize our finances? It's a different time but we still have the wisdom of the scriptures to direct us during this time. You're going to have to have these conversations because fellas also, even though most fellas I know don't have the same expectation anymore, but fellas, if she works, it's not her job to clean the house by herself. (laughs) If she works too, you can pick up a mop. You can get a duster. You can wake up Saturday morning and turn on the gospel music. (laughs) Teamwork. The Bible doesn't say that the wife has to cook every meal. Now, fellas, if she can't cook, don't, 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 don't make her. No. You're only praying for your stomach. Lord, pastor, she cooked and, oh, I need healing. No. (laughs) <laughs> so ladies like I remember Pastor Deborah shared this story years ago she was in a women's meeting and a lady came and was like Pastor Deborah, you know I grew up in a house where you know the wife did all the cooking but my husband loves to cook and he wants to cook every meal Pastor Deborah looked at her and said girl you better enjoy that blessing for God for the rest of us will rejoice for you so the thing is the wife doesn't have to cook You guys have to look at your life, your marriage. Analyze everything with who said that, whose responsibility is it, and who is your source. If you guys both like to cook, divide days. And if you're a person who can't cook, well, thank God for Uber Eats and DoorDash and picking up stuff on the way home. Everything doesn't have to be like you saw growing up. You can change. Why do you want to pre-produce what you saw when you can build something better? Your heirs together, the grace of this life. And so when we ask ourselves all these questions that we've used, and that's why there's so many issues. I don't have time to get into it today. Maybe I'll get into it next time. So many people have gender identity issues because they're taught that a man has to do this and a woman has to do that. And if a man has an interest in this, something's wrong. If a woman has interest in this, there's something wrong. Now, there's some things clearly in Scripture what it says a man should do and what a woman should do. But there's a whole lot of things we put into culture that is not from the Word of God. That people are confused about themselves and what their role is in this life and what they're supposed to do because of what culture has said and not what the Word of God has said. And so even when we're raising our kids, we need to say, what does the word say? Not what I saw growing up. Not what culture says. What does the word say? Who said that? When you talk, divvy out responsibilities in your home, who said that? Analyze these things. Ask yourself these questions. Because it comes down to three words. Say three words. 
love, reverence, and honor. So although the scripture doesn't say, fellas, you take out the trash, but because you love and honor your wife, you take it out. It's love and honor. If that's how she defines love and honor, that's what you do. And wives, you look, one of the things it says again and again with your husband, respect, because you can say, I love you all day, but if he doesn't know that you respect him, those words of love fall on deaf ears. And so you have to figure out how does he define respect? How does he define honor? And if you guys make decisions in your marriage, in your home, based on love, respect, and honor, you'll have the life you dreamed about. Don't build off of what you saw. Build off of love, respect, and honor. Say love, respect, and honor. Go ahead, put that in the chat. Let's say it again. Say love, respect, and honor. This is how you have to build your life. Because it says here, as the weaker vessel, and just for clarity, and I'll get into more of it next time, the woman is not weak. The Bible does not teach that. It says, treat her as if she was the weaker vessel. Now, this is a vessel of water, right? This is a vessel of my tea. How many know if I did the same thing with that water bottle, we would have another issue up here? It's not that it's weak, it's just fragile. And because it's made of a different substance, I am to handle it with care. And so that's the title of the next message, Handle with Care. Stand to your feet.